Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Keon Sobani for the third time in three years we get to record this show because Real Madrid is champions of the world. Real Madrid has won the Champions League for the first time, third time in a row, fourth time in five years, Keon. I, I don't really know how to deal with it. <laughs> there may never be in the Earth's history three Real Madrid podcasts celebrating the Champions League in a row ever. We made history. <laughs> We did make history. Uh, it's so much fun to do to do this show again with you after every year. I feel like I should just circle it in my calendar because we know we're going to do this. Uh, it is. It has been a hectic few uh, 24 hours or so, but my oh my, Real Madrid takes the Champions League third in a row, 3-1 to one against Liverpool, Kiad, and uh, this team not only made history last year, back-to-back champions, they made history again this year because uh, no team in the modern history of the league has really even made it to three Champions League since that Juve team in the 90s. And this team, this Real Madrid team, Zinedine Zidane coached with the same basic backbone. Are the champions of Europe. What a time to be alive. You know what? <clears throat> like, forget three three finals in a row for Juve. Remarkable achievement. They didn't win shit. And so sure. one, it's 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 incredible getting to the final. It's incredible getting to the final twice. Incredible getting to the final three times in a row. Winning every single time is ridiculously difficult. Like no one does that. The greatest teams in the history, like this, not in the modern era. Uh, in the history of the game, going back, this is officially, if it wasn't already, second behind Di Stefano's reign. This is it. This is a legacy now. Right. Remarkable. And that's, I think that's what I wanted to talk about at the beginning. We have a lot of your questions to get to, but what I wanted to talk to you, to you about at the beginning of this is simply that. I've read in this period since this happened a number of articles from a number of people I, I consider prominent journalists basically talking about 
or trying to grapple with the legacy that this club has. And I, for one, think that all of the comparisons, all of the talk falls a little short because it's always about how like there, there's a lot of narrative about how this club is hard to like. And, you know, they, they, you know, will only really be able to grapple with this, this narrative or this, this, how good this club was is once, once it's over and once we can look back on it and you know what, that's bullshit because I feel right now that this club, uh, we can talk about its legacy. We can talk about what it's accomplished because it is, it is doing, it has done and it is continuing to do stuff that, no other club in the modern history of the game is done. This this is simply not done in this sport at this time, and uh, we are we are witnessing it, and we are incredibly lucky, and we need to relish it because because this type of thing doesn't come around more than once or twice in a lifetime, maybe. Well, I think it the fact that we get to have this conversation year after year about the legacy is just really fun to me because those it, it's almost like we have to kind of rewrite. You know, or or redo our you know the podcast that Om and I did about the all time squad, and and which is really great news. That the fact that we can keep talking about how insane this core is. Like, and I was thinking about the core of the team and how old it is: the Marcelos, the Ramos, Ronaldo, uh, Modric. These guys are are not young. Um, but and then you look at the the younger generation of the core, like the Asensio, those guys. And I, and I wonder, like, well, at some point, like the Varan, the Vallejo, at some point, we're just going to be like, wow, these guys were all on the same team and actually overlapped. That's incredible. Like, I really feel like 10 years from now, we look back at this squad, we're going to be like, how were all of these players on the same team? Yeah. yeah. And because we're talking about uh, a crew of players, some of them have already cemented their legacy, their place right, as all-time Madrid greats, and some of whom have uh are in the process of doing so and all having all of them all of these all-timers together on a on a team is really amazing and i can't I mean i can't stress how how lucky that how lucky we are to be alive right now and be witnessing this as real madrid fans and like one of the things that you know real madrid is always going to be constantly in competition and in comparison with you know, Barcelona and their rivals. And they're doing this at a period where Barcelona actually have also had a very good team filled with all-timers. And Real Madrid has simply been better every year. And they've managed to do this and pull out these historic feats year after year after year. And that in itself is amazing. Too. Yeah. Um, the fact that this is what every Barcelona fan was worried about is that who's going to remember our double if we don't get the invincible season and we don't, um, and then and Ram would pull off the unthinkable and do three in a row. Did you? So I'm curious to know what you thought during the game. As nervous as I was, and I, I, even though I thought that this was a tougher, tougher test, uh, I was probably more nervous in last year's final. For some reason, because I thought at some point, like getting here again, it yeah. just felt like we're just gonna pull it off. Like we've come too far to mess it up. As, as hard as it was and as many as the tactical frailties that existed in the starting lineup, it just felt yeah. like we were going to do it. Don't ask me how. And then and then we kind of found out how the Salah injury and then the the, the carious mistake. And it's like, okay, well, right. if you if you didn't believe in black magic, you after that moment, there was no question. This is like, it's like science proven right. now. Science has proved black magic is real. <laughs> it exists. Magic is real, folks. Yeah. Here, here, heard it here first. I think... 
I mean, one of the one of the things that all all of that you're pointing to reminded me going in is that a lot of people were talking about how well Madrid has all the experience, and a lot of people had also said, well, experience doesn't count for that much. But here's the thing: experience does count for a lot. So of course it does, yeah. And there, I say it is, is this: if Madrid had lost their, at Real Madrid loses their best player at minute thirty. Madrid doesn't basically shut down. Like what happened for Liverpool was they lost their best player and then their keeper made one mistake and that just took the into everything out of that team in my view. And like you know, I don't I think for me that isn't that in itself is a is an issue that comes with experience that you have to be able to say, look, we can have bad luck and we're going to get past it and we're going to still win. And Liverpool basically had to felt like they had to play a perfect game with without any mistakes and as soon as they got one piece of bad luck which is Salah and then you know another piece of bad luck which is their uh, amazing and let's be clear we're not giving Benzema enough credit for right. for the for the press right like yes. people forget that that reminded me a lot of like Raul like this is a Marca mm-hmm. like a classic Real Madrid goal where the person you know flinches for a second make just the wrong pass and there's a Madrid guy right there to take advantage of it and slot it in I mean yeah. It was a great play from Benzema. It really was. And Karius, that mistake really cost Liverpool mentally going forward, I think. Well, he stuck his leg out. Like I feel like a lot of players just wouldn't have even thought to do that because it would just be so unthinkable that the ball even goes where he where, you know, Benzema was occupying. But he sticks his leg out as Karius is throwing it and just intercepts it. And, you know, it's a heads up play and he probably didn't get that much credit overall, but he deserves it. He had a great game. Offensively he he was creating things, you know, he was doing things offensively, um, whether it was shooting or, or just trying to create. And he got a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of people were kind of calling for his head in my halftime video. Um, you know, I, and I thought to me, there were, I was trying to look at it like as objectively as possible in that entire first half where Liverpool were just the better team. Um, until Salah got injured, and we can talk about why why that changed the games tactically. Like I, you know, I seen some people on Twitter try to try to say no, Salah had nothing to do with you know the Carius mistake. Well, that's true, but he had a lot to do with the complexion of the chain, the 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 game, and how it changed and how Real Madrid grew into it when he left. Um, but I also thought individually, I was trying to look at it halftime. I was like, no one is really playing bad. It's just no. that there are there's just this systemic issue that, and everyone's trying their best. Everyone's working hard. You know, Modric and Kroos are really good on the ball. Ramos and Varane were terrific defensively. Um, Kaylor Navas too, and, and there was just systemic issues. And that uh, so there were two defining moments for me. Gabe, one was a Salah injury, right. which changed things, which we'll get into. And the second one was the bail entrance, which yep. you know we obviously his goal is going to shadow overshadow everything. But um, the amount of times in my notes that I tracked that Bale was almost at the corner flag defending the flank and winning possession. Yeah, you know at least three times. Like he he makes a difference so that Modric shouldn't have to do that shit anymore. And. This is, I mean, this is exactly what we said was going to happen if Zidane rolled out his diamond in this game, and the in- introduction of the the loss of Salah and the introduction of Bale both combined to uh, make both make Liverpool less dangerous against the diamond and then shift the diamond to a better defensive and offensive shape that included a 
such a strong two-way player in Gareth Bale, right? Who, as we said over and over again going in, Bale is an incredible two-way player who provides a huge amount offensively. And I don't think I've ever felt more vindicated than, by the way, he played this game. (laughs) We've been saying this for years and weeks before going into this match. I, I, there's no... I I, fe- I felt vind- I just felt happy for him to be vindicated in the eyes yeah. of so many that you know I really there was nothing anybody could say about him yesterday. I mean, I've seen a few comments kind of just backtracking and say yeah, but he's always injured. Like, but he was phenomenal and um, he's been really good leading up to this game. And so I understand his frustration not starting. Um, I will say that. Uh, well, we'll I, we'll get into because there's there's a lot of questions that I that I you know I don't want to repeat myself because I know there's questions about certain things tactically and stuff. But those were the two defining moments, and in between, like riddled in, where there were momentum shifts too. Like it's just it's amazing yeah. how much Liverpool's right flank just dissipated when Salah yeah. left. You know, whereas Carvajal's yeah. injury, very unfortunate. It wasn't like a dramatic drop off because. Nacho just did his job and, and it was fine. And Sadio Mane kind of had to leave the left flank and go to the right a bit. And Firmino was spread thin all of a sudden. So just the dominoes of that injury, I just, you know, I, I knew Salah's great. It was crazy how much Liverpool just dropped off. Yeah, and I mean, it's because they've built so much of their structure on his greatness, right? Like they rely on not just him to create goals, but also on teams to have to plan against him right it's like Barcelona in that period where Messi was really just carrying and and they they rely on opposing teams to have to game plan around Messi then as soon as like he Messi's off the pitch suddenly the the opposing team can like just game plan around the 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 rest of the squad generally and that you know is a very different prospect from gaming playing game planning against a squad that includes someone as good as Salah or Messi who really just occupies an entire has to occupy an entire part of your brain if you're in a Real Madrid defender every second he's on the pitch you have to be thinking about him all the time which is I think what was going on and I was impressed by Sergio Ramos who had a huge defensive responsibility on that flank right I was talking with Kevin McCauley who wrote an article about why people always talk about how Marcelo is the weak point in Real Madrid about how he's there's so much uh, there's so much uh, space in behind him, and that's what's going to be exploited. And I was telling Kevin that part of the part of the reason that that doesn't tend to happen in these big games is that Ramos and Marcelo work very well together when they're really clued in. And Ramos had an incredible game even you know before Salah was injured, and then you know moving forward he covered for Marcelo perfectly and allowed him to to run forward and play uh, on the attack even with the threat of Salah looming. And then obviously when you know they they there was that. That tackle and that that they kind of crashed into each other and what happened, you know, after after that we can discuss in the comments. But you know, the fact is that Ramos was one of the best players on the pitch for Madrid today, and, and he needed to be. I thought so. I actually thought it was one of Ramos's best games ever, like he's ever played. In the, uh, considering the stakes of the match and I'll, you know that's kind of just Ramos is calling it's like the bigger the game you know the bigger his balls get that that's just him and that you know I was talking to when I was talking to the, Josh from the Enfield rap on the on the pregame show you, you know he was kind of talking about how like Ramos has been really good in big games and 
and uh, and you know I was telling him you know the, the difference between Sergio Ramos against in a game against like Levante versus a game in a Champions League is so dramatically different and like that night and day yeah yeah and it, it was kind of, so what I, one of the things I noted was like the first seven or eight minutes Ramos and Varane had to intervene so many times like with brilliant defending and to me that was a worrying sign I was like I'm thankful for both of them I, they just been tremendous but we're already putting themselves in the position it's it's like everything we wrote tactically before the game it's like to a T everything was like just came true everything we were worried right. about um and so but but it's it wasn't just Ramos's defending that was good in a game where it was so hard to find outlets out of the back before Salah got injured with the press and you know the way you know Casemiro overall recovered had a really good game but in the first 20 25 minutes he yep. gave the ball three times uh and he just did not look comfortable at all in tight spaces and and the team as a whole like there was no outlets and in a game like that Ramos um his passing out of the back was was actually quite good yeah him Modric Kroos those three to me were really important their Huge. demeanor their calmness their composure yep. just massive massive and that's yeah. that's when you can definitely like say experience does matter yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say because I I'd gone into this match thinking that if Liverpool doesn't score in the first, you know, 30 minutes or so, then Madrid is going to have a like is in for a good game because you know when a team is super hungry, a team is super young, and a team is super inexperienced, what they really need is to throw absolutely everything they have at the wall and as and if they can break through then they can calm down a little bit and treat this like another game. But if, if they give Madrid everything they have and Madrid holds firm, then they're going to be in trouble going into that second half. I feel like, I mean, obviously uh, Salah's injury was a total game changer, but you know, I did feel like despite everything, uh, Liverpool did not actually seem super close to scoring. They were getting some chances, but they were not, in my view. I mean, like, if you look at the XG, it does get really rate Liverpool's chances, but I never felt personally super worried about any of the chances that they were getting. And uh, it was because I felt like from the beginning, Baran, Ramos, Marcelo, Carva, they were all incredibly, I mean, like, Kroos, Modric, and Casemiro on the defensive end, they were all really dialed in. Like, they were ready and expecting this exact level of, you know, sprinting, gig and pressa, right? Yeah. Well, there, there there was a lot of danger. Like, I, I really there felt was, like... There was a lot of danger. Yeah, it, like, we did not let, we did not play well uh, as a team. Like, individually, I thought we did a lot of good things. But as a team, we just were suffering. Like, we were treading water. We were just facing waves of attacks. And Liverpool was comfortable in possession. And, and I, the other thing I was worried about, especially with this scheme, it was that... that the transition offense, forget about the transition defense, like Real Madrid just were, were pinned anyway. Like they, there was not really much room to, for Liverpool to counter. They were just, they were just getting space in behind and, and, and again, really good last ditch uh, defending. But I wasn't yeah. sure who was binding the attack. Like how was the ball getting up to the final third? It just wasn't. Like it, there was nobody to do it. And Isco had a couple of misplaced passes and he didn't kind of, recover until you know again uh surprise surprise after Salah got injured and Ronaldo anytime he wanted to get the ball he had to drop really deep 
like um, like almost into in our own half to get the ball. Yeah. Um, and he was he was uncomfortable. I think he did well it's, in a couple situations, but he also lost it too. And so, what you're saying, you know, you're under underlying the schematic issues of trying to roll with a diamond against this team, which we've talked about. Like this was a Zidane didn't made a mistake. Like this was not he was not tactically astute in this match, and that cost him. Like this this first thirty minutes was I I I was prepared for Liverpool to come out with an incredibly high intense press but and I was also prepared to for Madrid to absorb pressure but I was not prepared for Madrid to look so lifeless trying to get out of the press and move forward and they did not look good at that and that I think you can you can uh chalk up to Zidane's own schematic this mistake like fundamentally it was just there was a way to game plan around what I think was the obvious wave and wave of Liverpool attack at the beginning of this match and Zidane simply didn't didn't execute a game plan that would have that would have allowed you know allowed Madrid to be a little bit more comfortable moving the ball away from that and that's you know it goes back to tactics and I'm, I'm glad Benson was there I'm glad he had a big good game but you know I, I I do think that if Madrid had been able to add take Benzema out and add Bale to a and to the midfield you you uh, turn into a much you know a scheme that is a much a- more able to move the ball and threaten pace, right? So if you put Bale back there, there's always going to be that threat that Sergio Ramos receives. Bale just is off to the races, and he boots one over the top, and suddenly Bale's in with space if the pass is good. And like that was never never seemed like it was possibly the case with Benzema uh, roaming around up there with Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, you look at the pass maps at- and the heat maps. Um, that as is usually the case with a diamond is that everything was so focused on the left side, which it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing and it's not necessarily a bad thing to no. be imbalanced because you don't need to be symmetrical or whatever to, to you kind of use your energies. But, you know, with Marcelo, Ronaldo, Benzema, Isco, Kroos, all these players are naturally on the left side. That's just where their comfort zone is. And then you have Modric and Carvajal with the odd overload on the on the opposite flank. But then it wasn't until Bale came on where we actually had someone on, on that flank, you know, yeah. to give Liverpool something to think about. Like, Robertson had a great game. I thought Alexander-Arnold also defensively really good. You know, a couple of moments he shut down Marcelo and Ronaldo was impressive. Um, didn't have the greatest game, you know, with the ball and passing and stuff, but defensively he was really good. And, and Bale just gave them something extra to think about, whether it was shooting from distance, whether it was an extra presence in the box because Van Dyke is not going to be heading away every single ball because there's only one of them and so that was an extra thing but also just a presence on the flank for Robertson to worry about which didn't really exist beforehand right so let's go back because we'll deal with some of these questions let's go back to the legacy question Kian is this let's I mean we have to I regardless of how the Catalan press and and some of the more rapid um uh, I want to say Real Madrid. I don't want to call them haters, but like Real Madrid skeptics in the media, and I think especially like at, at some of the, some of the commentators at ESPN. Who I read an article. I think Mark Ogden, who who's a good writer and, and and whose analysis I like, but he wrote a whole article today about how basically yes, Madrid, you know, have cemented their place in the history books, but no, like this isn't a team that people really like that much, and this isn't Great. like an, an attractive team or or whatever. This isn't like. Basically saying like, yeah, they've achieved amazing stuff, but the Guardiola team that was, you know, more exciting, easier to like. And you know what? I, 
I don't agree with that. I think this team is is a crazy, weird, and 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 what it is kind of managed to produce is a a, a football of organized chaos that you know allows athletes these these incredible superhuman athletes to function and work together uh and to to execute like game plans at the highest level in the most important days it's this is an incredible team to love and i for me i think it has to it has to go down in and you have to i mean like i'd, I'd be happy to argue this but i think it has to go down in the top five maybe even three club sides ever yeah you have who you have you have milan late 80s early 90s right peps barca yeah. di stefano who who else ajax of, the IX uh, teams like the the total football IX side, but that, that wasn't. I mean, I guess they they won the champ. The, the, they won a the, couple the times only. Couple times. I mean, one of the this, Bayern sides. This is this is uh, this is top five for me. It's second behind Di Stefano in the club's history. Yeah, and yeah. that's and I think there's even an argument there just because the Di Stefano side was playing in a different, such a different era. But I guess you have to do cross era comparisons. But in the modern era i literally can't think of a, a club side that i you know and by modern i mean like since the since that milan team in the ni- late 80s early 90s i can't think of a club side that i would put a you know up against the the achievements of this real madrid side and, and say yeah that that side was better this is this is i think the best side in the modern era i this idea that real madrid don't you know a lot of this is just because people don't like real madrid and um, right. so they they will form their narratives naturally based on that, you know. So, and I mentioned this last week on the podcast with you. I I, I always generally believe as a rule of thumb, if you're the best team, you're, you're the best team. And that was why Diego Simeone, one of my favorite quotes of him ever, was someone asked him if Real Madrid were lucky to beat him or something in the final, and he was like, "There is no such thing as luck in football. The best, the the winner is the winner, and they deserve to win. That's it. That end of discussion." And it's not like, this is not like a situation, Gabe, where Real Madrid sleepwalked through the whole competition and then won a fluke game. This is three years running, four times in five years. This is beyond luck. It's beyond your narratives. It's, it's a real, real thing. And it's one of the best sides ever. Whether you like it or not, that's up to you. Um, but I, I also, I have, I have zero faith in humanity to, to, Look at things objectively. Sorry, that's harsh. I, I love. I, I think I have a lot of faith in humanity, but the 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 minority that is very loud that, for example, think that Ramos is this is is a bad person and wanted to intentionally injure Salah. These are the people who essentially we're talking about. Who who these these this is why a lot of people don't like Real Madrid because they're sick of this team winning and they're they're sick of you know trying to. Yeah. Trying to put th- put narratives together to make themselves feel better about losing to to Real Madrid, whether it was people losing their shit over a very correct penalty against Juve, to to now wanting to try to blame Ramos and this for this whole thing, as as to the point where that that tackle somehow overshadowed Bale's greatest goal possibly ever scored in the Champions League. This is this Let's is this is the society that. we're talking about. Yeah, that's and that's I mean, look, it's driven by. The, the Madrid hating, you know, Catalan press especially, because what they want to do, right, is is diminish the accomplishments of this team, which is 
it is really, really hard to diminish the accomplishments of a team that's back to back to back, right? Mm-hmm. But they do it, and they've managed every <clears throat> single time. It wasn't uh, Madrid sleepwalked their way through. It was Madrid didn't deserve it. Uh, to uh, Madrid are cynical and tried to injure the best player. To the other goalkeeper, really won won uh, lost the match for Liverpool. Real Madrid didn't really even win it. Like this is. I, I even predicted the narrative that would come out of the cut. You can, I mean, if Eleanor were here, I would, I would, I would remind her. I was like, before the game started, I was like, this is how the Catalan press is going to frame this game uh, if Madrid wins, and it's always going to be about how Madrid didn't actually win it. Someone, something else intervened to take credit away from the team that actually is lifting the trophy, and that's exactly what happened. It happened this year. It happened last year, and it's going to happen the year after, like any other future year with Madrid. Uh, if if it was two years ago, it was Madrid didn't have, play enough good teams, so they're not the real they're not the real champions, even though they have the cut. Last year, uh, last year it was even harder for me to figure out why. Last year was two offside goals against Bayern; they shouldn't even qualify. This year, it's yeah. you know, they, they there was that not penalty against Juve. It was an obvious penalty that Sergio Ramos is a thug trying to intentionally injure Salah. There are always going to be people like that, and you know what? You know what answers that shit from them? Rings, baby. Ring. <laughs> this team's got rings. This is three in a row. This is Jordan era Bulls dynasty fucking team. And they're going to have to eat it. Like they just, they do. Like just point at the trophies. It doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, which team has that trophy? Which team is lifting the trophy after the match? That's the only thing that matters. I think you should also point out is that the reaction to all this makes it even more sweet. Because if everyone was patting Real Madrid and their fans on the back saying, good job, you guys deserve it, it wouldn't be as sweet, to be honest. Yeah. these Some of these uh, these haters and these real anti-Madrid people, like I, we had to suffer through years of them talking about how incredible Pep was and how that Barcelona team is the greatest thing of all time. Even though, let's remember, they didn't, they didn't win back-to-back Champions League. They didn't even make back-to-back Champions League finals, folks. So, like, we had to listen to that bullshit. And, and now they, these same people who are making, always making excuses. I mean, it was the Xavi and Pep era at Barcelona that kind of popularized the we'll, we didn't deserve to lose, they didn't deserve to win mentality. Uh, the Simeone stuff, that comes from a different era of football where people were just like, yeah, you make your own luck. And uh, the team that won deserves to win. It's not it's stupid to talk about it any other way. And I stand with Simeone. Like, yeah, you can have bad luck. You can have referees doing dumb shit. But at the end of the day, your team is raising the trophy. And the team that won is the one that's supposed to win. That's simple as that, guys. At the end of the day and also at the end of three consecutive years. Three consecutive years. It's not even a one-off. It's like it's literally the longest sample size you could possibly have to measure a team. I mean, it, a bit being kind of uh, shitty domest- domestically does hurt the legacy a little bit, but. Fuck it. Eat it, bitches. Um, all right. Last uh, thing before we go to your questions. I wanted to talk quickly about the bail goal. We were talking about it before we started recording, Kian. Mm-hmm. For me, um, it is. I haven't decided where I want to put it. But it is either the greatest or the second greatest goal of all time in the Champions League. Um, I, I can make an argument for both. For either, obviously, the second the one I'm comparing it to is the Zidane volley. Both of the and the reason I'm going to say it is this: both of those were winners. 
Both of those were in the Champions League final. Both of them required immense body control to angle the ball perfectly. Uh, and they were both beautiful goals. So I will, I'm happy to hear um, your position on that. Uh, I wouldn't argue with you either way either. I, on either side of the debate, if you think one or the other is better. Um, I think Bale's is better. Yeah. Yeah, I think Bale's surpasses. I think the degree of difficulty is higher. I think yeah. uh, I think the, the FU moment was higher, the FU levels of coming off the bench yeah. and being like, you know what, I'm going to show you right away why I should have started. Yep. Uh, I I also liked, which has less to do with the goal, but just I, I like the fact that for his second goal, he just unleashed it. Whereas like at the beginning of the season, that's not even a shot he would have taken because his confidence was lower. He would have like just passed it back or or crossed yeah. it or something. But he just looked up, and it clearly wasn't of the best option, like decision making wise. In terms of like you know how like the equivalent is like don't take a long two or a sh- or like a a contested three. This he looked up. He probably had a, I think he had Benzema on the right flank. He could have played it someone else. He could have just kept possession and killed off the game. He's like no, I'm just gonna shoot it because he wouldn't have done that earlier this season. And that's the bail we were waiting for, Alpha Bail. So I think that here. for that it, it the Zidane volley. I remember losing my shit out of disbelief in the moment, and it's still. It's still an unforgettable moment. I think this goal was more impressive. Yeah. Just athletically, I, it was ridiculous what he did. I agree. I agree with all your points. I think that when I when I go back and think about it, I think the Zidane volley for me is a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. I think it's prettier. Sure. sure. Because of the... And because of the, that moment of suspense when Roberto Carlos smashes it high, high into the air and it's arcing down and you see him getting ready and you know exactly what he's going to try to do. And there's only like the tiniest amount of space that he's going to be able to do it in, and then he hits it, and it could not have been a better shot. But the veil, the veil one is certainly more athletic. I think it's more of a fuck you goal. It's definitely, I don't know. I'm still really torn because that Zidane goal is my favorite goal ever scored, and <laughs> this one, this one is now up there also. <laughs> it's so cool. It's yeah. so cool. But I won't hear essentially any other goal in the Champions League. I don't think that there has been a better goal in the Champions League than, than the Bale one, unless you know, you're talking about Zidane. That's it. Those are the two. Which, and the fact that it's in the final, I mean, and, and we're talking about this way, it officially also yeah. puts in the conversation as one of the best goals ever. Like, just ever. Um, yes. Because of right. what That's, was at stake. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Also, this is his third different final where he scored the winning goal. We had the Copa del Rey final. Uh, we had the Champions League final in Decima. We had this one. And then in the fourth one, as Boz pointed out to me on Twitter, he scored a penalty in the penalty shootout. So, because that was one of the things that was being pushed down our throats is that he's not a big game player. He scores all his goals against, you know, La Liga sides or whatever. I love that that attack on any player on this Real Madrid yeah, side. Yeah, any player. Yeah, any player. Give, give me a fucking break. There's not a single player on this Real Madrid side that I would call, that, that you can possibly even plausibly make the argument isn't a big game player. I think you get laughed out of the room if you make, no, if you make a comment about any of these good guys. Point, good point. Um, all right, let's, um, let's jump into the questions. How about that? Yes, yeah, sorry, let's do it. I was taking a sip of my coffee. Let's do it. Oh, no worries. No worries. Um, okay, so we have kind of broken these down into different um, questions. I think 
this first chunk are just uh, people that were trying to popping in to celebrate with us. So let's celebrate a little bit. Saad Omar um, says, I am so delighted for what Real Madrid has achieved in these past five seasons. I hope Zizou stays with us for a long time. How do you think he will keep our players hungry for a fourth? We're Real Madrid. Let's keep this thing going. It's um, <laughs> a good question. I love Real Madrid fans. We're so cool. Yes, they will be ready and they'll go for it for the fourth. I think. I, I don't. I think that's no no doubt in my mind. Um, I'm, I I think that after three in a row, you can't doubt that these guys will come back hungry. After three in a row, there's just belief that you know. But also, we you know we've seen great teams in the past. Uh, at some point, lose a bit of hunger, but and the the the, the team is also getting older, so the question marks arise more and more again. I would say, in a way, uh, maybe you're kind of playing with house money at this point. Like no one expects any team, the greatest like ever, to repeat back to back. So even even last year, in a way, was house money. Um, this year, but then again, you just want to keep winning and kind of build on this legacy because the more you win, the the bigger the tears get. But it's it's an important question. It, there's question marks now. Um, who comes back? Do you run back the entire team? Um, there's a question of whether you should or whether you will or not based on just circumstances and, and twisting players' arms. But um, how, do you, how do you keep your players hungry for a fourth? But how do you keep them hungry in La Liga? You know? Yeah, I think that's the, the question that I'm most interested in. How do we... Because Madrid needs to win La Liga. Like, it's been a while, and it, they need to come back and have an all-around strong season next year where they can test every game. And uh, I'm hopeful that, you know, we'll get to the transfers, but I'm hopeful that what, what Madrid will do is use this offseason to shore up some depth and uh, make sure that there is a very clear, like, you know, rotation policy for the older players and, and understand that, like, you know, look, if some of these players may leave, we I, I'm really not even there yet in terms of thinking about that. We'll deal with transfers later. But yeah, I, I think that's I think that's the question. But you know what? Let's just enjoy this shit. I agree. Like let's just enjoy this what we have right now. I and I I think that I don't like I think it's a good question, but I also think these guys the same question could have been asked last year. How do they keep us motivated to go get a third Champions League title? Well, you know what? They yeah. were. They were motivated. They came out and they did it because they're pros, but they also have this Jordan-esque feeling of never being satisfied and this feeling of I have to win every every goddamn trophy. So well, the- I, I believe that Zidane has that feeling, and I believe that enough players on the team have that feeling they'll motivate themselves to, to go get it. Go at it. Go get it again. Well, the hunger uh, in this season just stemmed from the fact that you had to win. There was failure was not an option because you you'd absolutely laid an egg in La Liga. Like you, it was multiple dud after dud domestically. And yeah. if you don't yeah. win, the the pressure of not winning keeps you hungry. So that's where the hunger this year, to me, a lot of that's where it came from. And I thought Zidane was right in the press conference before the game where he said, "No one can say Liverpool is more hungry than us just because they haven't won it in a while." If we, if yeah. you know, if they lost, that would have been disastrous. So they, that that was to me. And by the way, you know how I know La Liga is just is not as important as the Champions League. I don't even remember our La Liga championship post game podcast. To be honest, the, yeah, the, I don't really. Know. I remember the Champions League one. <laughs> <laughs> I remember our Champions League post game podcast all three years and La Decima post game also. I mean, like this has just been. 
this has been an incredible few years. I mean, four Champions League in five years. If you'd told that to nine-year-old Gabe, I mean, I would have lost my mind. Um, so that actually goes into our second question. Anton Hackberg asked us, um, how would you have reacted uh, if in the days before Rafa Benitez's departure, someone told you, don't worry, Zidane will become our manager and conquer us three straight Champions League trophies? <laughs> I would have laughed in your face, dude. I would have laughed. I would have laughed. I would have put remember, some serious money down. I would have. I remember uh, he had tweeting or, or saying something along the lines of, uh, I love the idea of Zidane as a coach. I think he's an exciting person to come in and manage, but you need you need you guys need to give him time like if this is going to work and and create like a you know a, a long-term like Sir Alex Ferguson type manager for this club you need to be patient with him well even if you weren't patient with him uh it ended up fine so <laughs> i did not expect him to do this well this this quickly i think if you would have told me when when rafa was sacked that zidane would have came in because i remember the concern was when zidane came in was that uh I'm mostly just concerned about his reputation. Like, is he going to be brought in unfairly and then unfairly sacked? Unfairly brought in because he doesn't have experience and then unfairly judged based on that and then unfairly sacked because you just didn't give him enough time. If you would have told me at that moment where it was a very dark day for the club because, you know, we weren't good at all, um, aesthetically especially. Uh, and if you would have told me that Zidane would have came in and wouldn't have won any Champions League titles until the third year, but built some continuity, I think I would have signed up for that. Yeah, but to me do too. it three years in a row, I you know, I don't know how to. I mean, <laughs> superlative failed me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, Essa Hariri uh, says, uh, "Big bail." I know my question is annoying, but do you think Bale's injury at the beginning of the season has given uh, chances for Asensio, Vazquez, and also Isco to shine and get minutes? Do you think if Bale wasn't injured, these players would suffer lack of minutes and dressing room stability wouldn't be as good as, as it is now? Oof. Um, no, I, I don't know, man. I, 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 I can't say that for sure. I'm not even sure that dressing – I mean, the dressing room is really happy and good, but, like, we also know we're going to get into this, but we also know that Bale wasn't super psyched to be on the bench for this match, as I think I wasn't psyched for him. I also wasn't psyched for it tactically. Um, so there is some bent, there are some dressing room issues, I think, generally. Not just uh, not just because of Bale, though. Well, I think the, the dominoes of Bale's injury, essentially, or injuries, was that it, it gave Asensio and Vasquez a chance, any scope, uh, but mostly Asensio and Vasquez because Zisco was you know, playing pretty regularly anyway. Uh, it gave them a chance to impress and cement a place. And, and then he kept, you know, he had a couple of relapses and it, it just bought Asensio and Vasquez time to prove their worth, especially Lucas Vasquez, who was kind of known as this role player off the bench. And, um, and, and he gave us some really, really important minutes against PSG uh, and Juventus, you know? So yeah, Hey, Bale's injury bought someone like him time to keep proving his worth. And if Bale doesn't get injured, you probably don't see them getting into the team as much, like even when Bale comes back, because um, to me, they they really built on their, their place in the team during Bale's injury because they both played really well. Um, so they, they they put themselves in a better light than, you know, before Bale was injured, even as as good as as good as they were before. Yeah. Yeah. Um... 
Let's see. Next question comes from Mark Reedy, who I think has a fascinating question about Ben's map. Mark, just up front, I haven't seen the documentary. So Mark says, uh, so happy Ben's got a goal. After watching the Ben's documentary on Netflix, I have even more respect for Big Ben's. I know this will be mostly about the Champions League, but have you guys watched it? What are your thoughts? Also a banger from Bale. Alamadi, the Estamos Campeones. I have not. I have not. Um... Uh, 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 I've not seen the, the documentary. Ken, have you seen the Benzema Netflix documentary? I gotta say, I, I started watching it and I just kind of turned it off. I, I couldn't get into it. Okay. Well, yeah. here's what I'll do, Mark. Uh, Evan and I will watch it for Unless Six Football nice. later in the year. There's less to talk about. And then I will report back Nice. whether I did it or not. Um, Ryan Jones says, We did it, guys! I would put 13 trophies in this message like Barcelona, but nobody has time for that. <laughs> Real Madrid should just change their Twitter handle to 13 trophy emojis. <laughs> I have to say, I'm so happy for Benzema and Bale. We all know the controversy they've endured recently, but if you you haven't already, it's time to put some respect on both of their names. Do you think the perception or, perception or legacy of either of these players changed today? Um... First of all, yeah, I do. I actually think Bale cemented his his legacy with that goal. It's the it's an all timer, the kind of thing that uh, whenever anyone talks about great goals, you actually do have to mention this one. Uh, that in and of itself, I think, is is a legacy maker. So there's that. Um, let's see. Especially in the case of Bale, if you look at the era uh, in our history, whether it's the header against Atletico in 2014, the solo golazo against Barca in the Copa del Rey final, and possibly the finest strike I've ever seen in the UCL final, he's been influential in our greatest triumphs. So, also, let me be the one to ask, what if we do it again next year? <laughs> I love Real Madrid fans. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Keon, do you feel like Benzema and Bale have, have changed or uh, cemented their legacies with this match? Yes. Yes. I think, well, Bale for obvious reasons. Benzema, I think, I think Benzema's way of being vindicated was a bit different because everyone, a lot of people don't like this idea that Benzema doesn't score and he brings other things to the table because they just want Benzema to score. And I see that side of the argument. Trust me, I do. I really felt that Ronaldo not stepping up early in the season and struggling, we had no one else to put the ball in the back of the net. And whether you're Benzema uh, or you're Sergio Ramos and you're in a great goal-scoring position, you just, as a professional footballer, you want you want to be able to put that in the net. Like, that's just a requirement, in my opinion. Um, so I never liked this idea that Benzema uh, doesn't need to score. I, you know, I, I still think he's in a position to score. Um, Ronaldo is not a goal scorer um, by definition of his position neither is Messi but they score buckets of goals because they're going to be in the goal scoring position they put the ball in the back of the net having said that Benzema brings a lot to the table and I think a lot of people have seen that not only today but against Bayern too where he had an insane amount of recovering, recoveries has dropped deep to dispossess opponents start counterattacks the awareness on Karius' um, giveaway um, the first half I thought he he was one of the few bright spots in terms of just being able to create something offensively. Him and Marcelo both, you know, had a couple really good um, take-ons and tight spaces. So I think I think so. Yeah, I, 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 I do. Now, having said that, I don't. I have no idea where that puts them for next season. But at least yeah. in the eyes of fans, and if you look you look at look back like ten years from now, there'll be yeah, there'll we'll be reminder. Yeah, a little later. But in terms of, I mean. 
I don't think anyone can doubt Bale and Benzema's legacy at this club. I think personally that when Benzema leaves, if he does leave this summer or whenever, he will leave as one of the most underappreciated players in this club's history. And probably uh, just because of the exactly the stuff we were just talking about. But you know, Bale. I think Bale did cement his legacy. This is, I mean, it's an all-timer. He's now scored the winner for Real Madrid in two Champions League finals. I, I just, it's hard to, hard to argue around that, even if you're a Bale hater. Like, you, it's the kind of thing that you have to grant and then argue that, oh, but he is, he does get injured all the time. It's like, yeah, but he won, he scored the winner for Real Madrid two ways, including with one of the greatest goals in the history of the sport. So, um, Worth every penny, really, by the way. Sorry? Worth every penny, by the way. Like every penny. Those every goals penny. are completely worth everything we paid for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep, yep. Abdullah Al Shalan uh, asks us, um, or not asks us, says, "Allah Madrid, Allah Madrid." Such a ple- pleasure sharing this historical time in our history with this community. Yes, it is. Uh, fuck all the saltines. They hate us because they ain't us. Allah Madrid, Allah Madrid. Uh, yeah. Ala Madrid, buddy. It's it is an incredible time to be alive. <laughs> uh, so now now's the question. Before Salah's in, uh, injury, Liverpool were in total control, and it was scary. Was this because our wingbacks couldn't push up for 25 minutes? We were starved of the ball. They were very organized. What could Real Madrid have done? Switch to a flat 4-4-2. I wanted to see a full strength Liverpool. That was the only shame. Okay, uh, I think you answered your own question. Um, Wingbacks couldn't push up because they were dealing with a very high and intense press with a lot of threat, uh, and they didn't have many outlets for the ball to move between the lines. And that's the exact problem that we were talking about with the diamond. Yeah, it's literally the problem that we uh, we had mentioned, and that's exactly what Madrid had. They had a. I got to tell you, I do think Madrid had a pretty well organized defense. I was impressed by the individual performances, but this the schematic issues were obvious. They were there, and Madrid. I mean, Zidane simply didn't execute a plan to counter how Liverpool were going to play, and the Salah injury changed changed the flow of the match. I mean, if you look at the expected goals, Liverpool got essentially all of their expected goals before Salah got injured, and then basically didn't get any after that. Yeah, so well, at the time Salah got injured, they were at like almost 1.5. Um, and then they had, a, when Mane scored in the second half, their expected goals rose again. And um, they got some, to me, it was like a momentum thing for them. Um, whereas after the Salah injury, they just, they, their confidence just got shot. And then, so, uh, and at that point, Real Madrid's expected goals were, um, to to show you the contrast, was like 0.1, I think. Yeah. Like it Madrid was. And not been able to muster anything. Yeah. And so. Again, now this is where we can really talk about the Salah injury. It's that... Uh, no, it's time to talk about the Salah injury, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. what I just said, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, uh, the, the fact that Real Madrid just could not keep possession, or get they, they had possession, but it was just spent the entire time looking for outlets out of the back. Against Bayern, we saw it, and it was very laborious getting in the back, but there were moments where they could. In this one, they just couldn't. Like, Liverpool, forget the front three. They, they were amazing uh, at pressing. Um, Henderson, Milner, and Wijnaldum, too, was, were brilliant in following up, making sure everything is cut off behind front three. And 
basically Ronaldo had to drop deep a couple times um, just to help Real Madrid, you know, get some numbers there because none of their long balls were going to hit their target. Um, again, and then after Salah leaves, the presence on the right flank disappears. Mane shifts to the right. Carvajal doesn't have to worry about Mane anymore, and then consequently Nacho as well. Liverpool sat a bit deeper. They stopped pressing aggressively. Real Madrid started being able to penetrate the final third. And then, you know, again, before that, during that whole spell, um, Casemiro gave the ball away three times in very deep positions. Um, and, like, over and over again, Real Madrid just had zero outlets coming out of the back. And that's it. The, the Salah injury just flipped everything. Yep. Um, so let's talk about it. We got some questions, and a lot of people um, are interested in it. Uh, so Blake Brown, for example, asked us, Wow, how crazy was that? Uh, as you guys said, a week ago, Bale was going to be the difference. What an incredible game for him. Was it, uh, was it the right call to keep him on the bench from the start? No, we've already just discussed that. I think it was a great call to bring him on late. I mean, uh, <clears throat> let's talk about the Ramos tackle. Was it dirty? I really don't think it was on purpose. Finally, does this make this the greatest team ever? <laughs> we already talked about that a little bit too. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's talk about that. Do you, Keon, in your opinion... Is this a was this a dirty play from Sergio Ramos? No, it was uh, it was a tackle where he just went all in and he was really aggressive. Um, and in another universe, Salah doesn't get hurt and maybe this doesn't get blown up as much. I'm really sad for Salah to get hurt. I'd also say there is a video that has circulated today where it shows Salah actually hooking Ramos's arm first. Yeah, and um, that one didn't get any traction because it 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 it's not against Real Madrid, um, right? I don't think it was dirty. I think it was really unfortunate and sad and heartbreaking, to be honest. But yeah. I don't think if you think Sergio Ramos literally thought in his head, "I'm going to injure this player," no, no, no. And if you thought that, then you probably have some other thoughts about Real Madrid generally that you you're feeling. So, no, I I agree. Um, I mean, one of the things, Ken, that we for, that we we should remember also, right? In my opinion, is that, I mean, this the way that Ramos played Salah and the way that that Madrid's defense played Salah was a lot like you know the way you play any player of that caliber, but also of that style, which is like he's fast and likes to hop around and like kind of. You create with the ball. It reminds like a lot like Messi, right? Is that you hammer him, and like the way to play defense against someone like that is to be physical and bully them around off the ball. And you know that that play especially was like they like to fight back too. Salah got like mixes it up, got into it, and you know yeah. I when I saw it in live time, what I saw was Salah and, and Ramos were pushing against each other. Uh, there were there were both of them like using their arm, being physical, and then they're both on the ground suddenly and like. It did not at all scream to me that there was intent. I've seen Renault, like Ramos do red card type, type tackles to try to injure people. That's not like yanking people in that Kelly Olynyk, Kevin Love like shit from from a couple years ago in basketball. Remember when like Kelly Olynyk literally grabbed Kevin Love's arm and yanked it so that he yeah. could dislocate his shoulder? That's not what happened here. No, this I've seen a- people try to draw that parallel with Olenek and I couldn't believe it that people actually were grasping that that hard that was completely different then that's that's sort of what's going on here Nicole Grant or Nicole Gant says um is Ramos the devil (laughs) (laughs) I could be biased because Ramos is the light of my life 
But what was he? Uh, was he that bad digging out Salah? Was it overt? Was it a dick move? I feel like Salah wrapped his arm around Ramos, so it's his own fault. But whatever. Alamadi. I mean, again, this is just it's a physical game, and uh, Sergio Ramos was being, you know, engaged in a physical tackle with the opposition's best player. There was not there was, the idea that there was intent to injure. I mean, if Sergio Ramos wants to fucking injure you, he will injure you, and it won't be in your goddamn shoulders. You understand what I'm saying? Like, he, we've seen him go and get people and do that right because he's angry or whatever, and it's always sliding. It's always towards the lower part of your body. It's never – I've never – like, the idea that Sergio Ramos would do a fucking Kelly Olynyk and rip this guy's shoulder out is absurd. It's absurdity. Uh, not to change the, the direction of the conversation, but – I want to go back to also a different part of Blake's question about sure. um, what an incredible game from Bale. Was it the right call to keep him on the bench from the start? Uh, I think it was a great call to bring him on late. So this is one thing in the back of my mind I was thinking about is that if Zidane wants to, I don't know, roll with a safer option, the diamond, is that something he he trusts and you know we think it's... a uh, it's a complete suicide mission, but, you know, he's won a Champions League final with it uh, last season. And and then save Bale for hopefully you have a lead and Liverpool need to open up and stuff. Turns out Bale comes on, it was it was tie game, he still changes the game for obvious reasons we've already talked about. I had this worry, and I've seen this pop up a couple times. I saw it, I think one person said it in the comment section of my reaction, was that Zidane's a genius, uh, he brought... He made perfect subs. The commentators were saying this too. Brilliant substitution from Zidane. I really... I, I don't feel that way. I don't... I, I really felt like... Why shoot yourself in the foot and then... And then do something you were supposed to do to begin with and then say, oh, it's a brilliant sub. Why you put yourself in that position in the first place? You know, you have a sense you can also change the game on the sub and other great different yeah. difference makers like Kovacic... Uh, and Lucas Vazquez, it was a, it was unfortunate that Zidane had to burn a sub in the Carvajal injury. That sucked because who knows? Maybe we would have, we would have seen Bale at halftime. Um, but yeah. again, maybe we wouldn't have because after the Salah injury, we looked better with the diamond anyway. But um, I I don't buy it. To be I don't honest. buy it. Yeah. yeah, I get it. I get what you're yeah. where you're yeah. coming from, but I don't buy it. I don't agree. Um, is it time to talk about transfers, my man? Um, I guess we can't prolong it forever. We prolonged it until May 27th, 2018. I don't know if... I think that's the limit. Uh, We've avoided this question for months. Before that, I'm just going to quickly... I want to answer Daniel Smith's um, question. Just to to be uh, clear, Daniel, I'm going to try to get through all this, um, but there may be parts that I chop out just because um, this is a real... It's really awesome and I think correct analysis, but it also includes like... Just it's it's quite long. We're trying to keep this under an hour and a half because we've been recording for a pretty long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Daniel Smith, shout out my man. Um, Daniel says, uh, in truth, I must confess I was wrong about my prediction for this game. I thought it would be four to one, but I'll take three to one all damn day. I apologize in advance for the profanity that this is going to ensue. I'm fucking amped, so pumped. Three peat as champions. Hell yeah, dude. Three peat. Still don't know why Bale didn't start the game, but I'm not going to complain since Madrid won. Fair. Playing sports my whole life, I'm extremely superstitious. So I had to put my oldest son in his Real Madrid kit like he's worn every year in these finals last three years. That's great. He's my good luck charm. Good. Do not 
stop doing that. You need to end, end of, you know, he can never grow out of that kit also. He has got to wear the same one every year. <laughs> um, today I wore a black Real Madrid shirt, but changed to a Bale jersey at halftime. And you know what? Bale comes in and scores <laughs> the biggest, baddest motherfucking goal one may say in the game of that magnitude. Seriously, though, how fucking ridiculous was that goal? The dude is straight world class and fucking gangster. I know he's had injury issues throughout his career, and I wish he would have worked with Tim Grover uh, to help prevent injuries. But when he's been healthy, he's been spectacular. Absolutely on fire these last few weeks, and I'm bummed for him that the world won't see him on the biggest stage in the World Cup. I still can't get over that goddamn goal. What a beast! Something Madrid has uh, every other over every other team in Europe is straight athletes, not just players. These dudes are specimens, and in person, when compared to the likes of Barcelona players, they just tower over all of them except maybe PK. What a luxury to have on the field. Hey, hey, Pian, we were saying this going into this match, that one of the things that that, that, that Real Madrid had was this really elite, otherworldly athleticism, and that actually really manifested itself today, or yeah. yesterday in the, in the game. I love it because I just love the dy- dynamism it brings, the the amount of options you can like I liked uh, Matt Wilsey put out a tweet that I really liked yesterday about like how, the different ways that Real Madrid can beat you whether it's counterattacking, possession baseball and now you like you throw in this like acrobatic um, ninja shit it's, like in the middle of the air like what how do you even defend that anyway like I just love the dimensions that just athleticism brings to the table yeah um all right, more from uh, more more here, more here from Daniel. Modric was a straight G tonight. Dude saved one of his best games of, of the season for last. Shit, yeah. I love that man. Yeah. I mean, you too. Cross uh, was on point. Ever the coolest assassin like he is, and even Casemiro, albeit with a handful of scary moments, when pressured, played well. The defense was great, and when Carvajal went down, I really wasn't concerned because Nacho is a stud, and I actually prefer him as of late over Carvajal on that side. That is a bit of a hot take, personally. Um, okay, I really don't want to hear from Liverpool fans about Salah going down as the reason for losing and Ramos being a dirty player. Shit happens. Man up. Play big boy ball and move on. Don't hate Real Madrid because their depth is absurd. Bad luck hits all teams throughout the season. And give credit to the players, training staff, and Zidane for managing his team properly throughout the season. Even though Bale should have sta- started more this year. Can you tell I love our beautiful Welsh samurai? I do too. Of course, you need to get luck to win these big games. But luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Which is, I think, a quote. Uh, and nobody prepares for the biggest moments better than Real Madrid over these last 10, 12 years. I think that basically sums up my feeling about the Salah stuff. Like, it, there's everyone's going to get some luck, you know, in this. Um Final thought. Bale has now scored the winner in La Decima and the incredible, life-altering, mind-blowing goal to wrap up the three-peat. So can someone explain to me why this dude gets so much shit? This guy needs a street named after him outside the stadium. Heck, they might give, They gave Mike Holmgren from the Packers a street after one damn Super Bowl. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to speak and listen to others in this community about a team we all truly care about. Next season can't come soon enough. A la madre. Ala Madrid, buddy. Um, why does why does he get shit? Is a good question. I mean, it's a question to, we've been wrecking with a lot. To be honest, frank. why does anybody get shit? Really? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like, just can we? Why do we have to be so bipolar in general? Like, and and look at things so black and white. Like he's shit or he's not. Like you know, there's like no middle ground. That different players bring different things to the table. Have strengths and weaknesses. Um, things are holistic. Scheme matters. 
And why are we just berating these people as individual and human beings? Right. And, right. you know, like with Casemiro, I think there's one guy that uh, I think we've been labeled as, you know, criticize him a lot. But we also bring up a lot of the great things he does. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just that a lot of people are very reactionary with their thoughts and their their way the way they analyze things it just it's not to me it's not about just about bail i mean it's shocking to me that bail gets a lot of it but i i would also say like you know you and i gave are connected to rounded fans possibly more than anyone and yeah. uh, we see every single opinion and we see the percentage of people who feels which way and i would say bail is one of the more supportive ones in our circles right like People oh, on yeah. the podcast, people who submit questions, like it's very rare that we get bail criticism. Benzema was was a big one, but bail, I think everybody everybody kind of just is on board about bail, like in, in the general sense. It's also because we are big bail fans, so yeah. maybe if you're a huge bail hater, coming to us with your question is you're maybe not the best move. But also, I think he and the, the bail hate that, that I see doesn't tend to come from places like us or from like a kind of broader fan community. It does tend to come from the kind of career journalist uh, marca types who have what they, they believe to be a ear the ear of the club and they they're pushing kind of these anti-bail narratives because they have other players in mind that they want to see play more so they saw at first bail as in being in direct competition with isco who they want to see play they see bail as being in direct competition with asensio who they want to see play that that I think is where the anti-bail stuff comes from, at least on on a Madrid level. At least that's my theory. I don't I don't have a great reason yeah. to back. <laughs> no, I I mean that's probably true. Like we didn't we see was it earlier this season or last season where there was like articles in Marca and even ESPN about how Bale has made no effort to learn Spanish right. or integrate himself into the culture. Like give me a break. Like, it's nonsense. Yeah, yeah, it's all. Um, all right, let's do these trams. Let's do, let's do some transfer questions, folks. Um. Adrian Rios asks us, um, sorry, Adrian, if it's Adrian, you should let me know too. I hope now is the time to ask questions about transfers. Considering that two of our three BBC players have questioned their future and another BBC player has had a co- really couple bad seasons, should we anticipate a completely new forward Trident? Or let's say we convince Cristiano to stay, then we'd probably still have to sell Bale, and we should probably sell Benzema anyways. So how do we replace these two players? Um, I I just think there's essentially no chance there's going to be a new forward Trident for Real Madrid. I think maybe one will leave, but I don't know. I think that when Real Madrid, one of the things I told Evan about how the tram this this transfer market might not be too bonkers is if Madrid decide that what they want to do is just roll with continuity a little bit and just kind of improve the squad on a depth level and on a kind of holistic level. They won't maybe go after, you know, for example, I think that Neymar isn't happening this summer, but it's possible that he could come next year, uh, in which case, I don't know. But I don't want to sell any of these players. <laughs> I, would, so I wouldn't move any of these guys. I think if you would have asked us, like, who was the most likely to go before this game, we probably would have said Benzema or Bale. Uh, I don't think anyone thought it would be Cristiano, and and still we don't know. By the way, like I think that we're going to address these post game comments at some point before the podcast yeah. is over. But uh, the fact that it might have been Benzema, and then you hear these post game comments, and there's some other journalists who are decently um, reputable are saying that Bale is likely to be gone, and you know Ronaldo's comments. It would be so dramatic if all three of them left. Like you, you can't start from scratch. I mean, you theoretically could, but. 
how do you really break up? And how the hell do you even have the audacity to sell bail, by the way, after what he just did? If it's a matter of if it's a matter of him wanting to leave for playing time, good, easy solution. Just play him, start him. Yep. Don't, it's not even the con, con, you know question anymore. It shouldn't be a question. It should never have been a question. But yeah, exactly. Just start him if that's if that's if that's where we are. You're um, going to spend a bunch of money trying to figure out who the Ronaldo replacement is. You have Bale entering his theoretical peak. He's still in his late twenties. Ronaldo still. God damn. All right. Shekhatiria says, um, lots to discuss. Ronaldo just matched with Stefano, Raul, Costa Curta, and Mal- Real Costa Curta, Maldini, with five Champions League trophies, one behind le- legend Jerry Gento. Nobody let Bale anywhere near a barber. The hair is working. <laughs> I hope these past few months have secured his next season as a starter. I hope so, too. Um, did Benzema score the silliest goal in finals history? No. No, he didn't. There are definitely stupider goals in finals history. Did Bale beat Zidane? <laughs> to the greatest final goal in history. We talked about this a little bit. I think it's possible. Is Modric the greatest of all time in his field? He is, I mean, he is currently the best center midfielder in the world mm-hmm. uh, and has been, I think, has had that title for the last few years, Keon. But all time, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. That's something I haven't put a lot of thought into right now. <laughs> he is. He was a starter in both Omni's team and the all-time 11 for Real Madrid. Uh, he, I think the people who are, you're arguing are better than him are probably like Xavi and Pirlo. And then you have Modric who, is he in that discussion? I don't see why he shouldn't be. Yeah. He's probably, I mean, I think if you ask the neutral. I'd rather have current Modric than any time Pirlo. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, 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 I think he's in the discussion. Um, okay, finally, which of these three scenarios do you predict to happen? A, Benzema leaves. B, Kane, Neymar, Salah, or someone of that caliber joins us and moves Benzema to a substitute. C, no superstar forward joins and Benzema remains our starting forward. Last question, Gabe, are you recording this drunk? I'm not. I'm sorry, Shay, I'm not drunk. It's... We decided to do a morning show, so we started recording at about 11, so I'm not. I haven't had anything to drink yet. <laughs> um, which one of those scenarios? I think um, I think there will be a move. So I think I think that despite all this, I think, I think more likely than not, Madrid will make a big signing, but I don't know who it is going to be because I think it's going to probably have something to do with the World Cup. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting about that. That we're probably going to make a signing after the World Cup, based on how yeah. that goes. Yeah, Madrid. Madrid historically do go after players who step up at the World Cup. Yeah, uh, it's a great so, marketing ploy. Everybody, yeah. everyone's on board with this. The the player of the tournament. You know, we 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 gained three billion new fans with James. Yep. Um, what's most likely out of these three? I don't know because if. To me, it's either it depends on who leaves. To be yeah, to because be I'm, and we're about to get to these post match hubs, but um, you know we don't know who's going to try to get out, who wants to leave now, who might retire. All that stuff is is still in the future. So um, I'm trying to just enjoy what we've had, what we have right now. And and but uh, I know these questions are fair. And and you know let's just jump into some of the. I mean, Solomon Ortiz basically says that we shouldn't sell anyone. I agree. Why bring in someone big? I agree. We do need to. I think we do need to bolster up the depth. I agree with all this, Solomon. So, keep Bale, keep Benzema. Yes, 
Um, I would, if I could bring back this team with like marginal, uh, not even marginal, but like improvements to the depth and maybe like extra strong young forward just to just to provide more depth on that line, maybe. Um, all right, the let's get let's get to these post match comments though. Um, so both Cristiano Ronaldo and Bale made some comments after the match. Um, Cristiano's, I think, are actually were actually taken a little bit more out of context because of, and they may have some translation errors because, uh, my understanding was he said essentially, it has been a great honor to play for Real Madrid, and that it just by itself doesn't mean I am no longer going to play for Real Madrid. It just means, uh. I've loved my time at this club. Like it's so great. It doesn't that that doesn't imply, in my view, any decision to leave. And I think he sort of clarified that later, Keon, where he was like, "Yeah, we'll see what happens." But I've I've loved playing here. And to me, this is the kind of shit that doesn't doesn't indicate someone who's really really about to leave. Yeah, the Ronaldo comments as like as you kind of zoom out, you see him explain things. You read the full interview. You you see the context. It's actually nothing extraordinary. And it was blown up probably more than it should have been. Um, it's Bale's post-game comments that are a bit more real. Yeah. And also, like, if you look at Zidane's post-game comments, he's yeah. like, with Ronaldo, he's like, there's only one option for Ronaldo. He either stays or he stays. Like, th- that's it. And then for Bale, he was like, it's a bit more complicated. And then even in the, the post-game pressers where it's like, where the, it, the way it happened with Bale was a bit surreal in the sense yeah. that the... The reporter wasn't even really trying to get anything out of him, whereas like the other one was actually trying to get something out of Ronaldo. Ronaldo just wouldn't say anything. And then with Bale, it was like at the end, he he the reporter kind of jokingly said something. I don't remember what he said, but then Bale like kind of just vented. Um, like he actually vented. He was like, "I wanted yeah. to start. I should have started. I'm, I'm looking to start. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down with my agent next summer." So that one was a bit worrying to me. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. Really- that he wasn't chosen to start, and I think he should. I think it's a fair emotion on on Gareth's part. He, everyone, all of us thought Bale was going to start. We thought it was the right tactical move. We thought it was the right who playing the person in form move. But Zidane decided to not bring and go with him, and then Bale came on in this awesome and had this incredible fuck you performance. But you know that that emotion of that disappointment still was there after the match even after he did what he did and after he won his third in a row champions league title fourth in five years playing for this club he is annoyed that he is being kind of and i think correctly annoyed that he's being treated badly i think he's not being treated well and if i were him i would also rethink you know think about things because when he he'd come into this game kian is real madrid's most informed goal scorer uh and he provides the tactical outlet that that you know, the Don could have made use of. And it sucks to have someone as good as Gareth Bale that you don't feel like you would rather start someone else just because of whatever Zidane's black magic reasons are. Uh, and I, I agree. I understand where Gareth is coming from. I'm just hopeful that everyone gets that sits down together. Zidane talks with him and says, look, yeah, we, when you're healthy, we want you in the starting lineup for this club. And if he can't say that to Bale, then I understand Bale saying, look, let's find a good option for me to, to head out. Yeah, well, you you mentioned the goal-scoring thing. Uh, we also have to keep in mind like the fact that Bale is one of the, one of the two people in our squad who can score consistently. Yeah. And, and we saw that immediately, like just the ability to put the ball in the back of the net, both statistically, I test 
it is crazy backed up with Bale. He he just does it consistently. Um, when there's only one other player in the squad who can do it consistently, and the others who pop up with goals uh, very timely and very importantly, like Asensio and Isco and Ramos and these guys are not as prolific, and that's that's just the reality. But right. I'd also say as much as I think Bale should start game in, game out, especially in the big games, like rest him in other games if you want to or whatever, the idea that it's fair or unfair is subjective. And Zidane is also has is well within his rights to make a decision that he thinks is best for the team. And, and he has the right to tune out every single noise from, from us, the fans, or anyone. And yeah, so, I agree. I just, what I, when I was saying it's fair, what I meant was it's fair for Bale to feel that way. I think sure. it's fair on Bale to feel that way. But I also think, yeah, of course, Zidane needs to make the call that's right for what he, how he sees the team and the game and whatever. And, but that that's if I'm Bale, I'm also on the place where like, you know what, if you if this is how you see my role in this squad, then fundamentally it may be time for me to move on. Like I, I get it. I get where Bale is coming from. I get where Zidane is coming from. I'm just hopeful that we can get to a posture on both sides, you know, that agrees <laughs> with each other and, and that, that we can get to a place where Bale doesn't want to leave. And I'm not sure that's that we're gonna have that. Um well, can- so that's that's so go ahead. Go Sorry. Ahead. Uh, well, the uh, there's two ways it could have kind of went down. It's one is that before even going into this game, or maybe he like he was thinking about this as he saw the team sheet because the team doesn't know the team sheet in advance. Like you know, I think I don't know if it was Carvajal or Nacho or someone said in the open media days that no one in the team actually sees the starting lineup until it's actually announced publicly or, or you know, just around that time. So no one has an indication of who might be starting, except for Zidane maybe, but he doesn't release it uh, even to the players beforehand. So then maybe maybe Bale sees that team shit and he's like, you know what, I'm out of here. Um, yeah. And then he goes and scores that and he has already made up his mind. That, so that's one way that, or maybe maybe the, both parties knew um, that he might be leaving regardless. Uh, the other, the other, op- the other possibility is that he just decided in the heat of the moment post game to say something that is just out of emotion, just yeah. just venting, and and none of this is really that worrisome. The part of me that thinks that this is resolvable um, is that Zidane probably saw this final and the performance leading up to it, and he's like probably just sits down with him this summer and be like, look, if if you're healthy, you're an important part of the team just stay here Ronaldo's getting older we clearly need you um and also if this was pre kind of pre-decided I would have thought that maybe Bale does that thing that James did in that last La Liga game at the Bernabeu where he, yeah. just, he just he applauds everyone takes an hour where Bale is it was Bale's last you know he, he came off right or, or something like that it was very very routine um, not yeah, that that means yeah. anything either way, but you know that kind of gives me hope, I guess. Yeah, I think there's, I think that there's a lot of emotion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people forget how much emotion these guys are going through at that point. And you stick a microphone in people's face, they're gonna say what's right come, pops into their heads, and it's not. I wouldn't draw tons of conclusions. I also people remember Keon. There was like this famous interview of uh, Richard Sherman, the the, the quarter, cornerback, and he was. You know, really amped up after a game and made just made a crucial interception or something, and you're just like, you know, got got right in the reporter's face, yelling like, "You can't guard, you can't send that guy guard any of you players," that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And people freaked out, and it's like, "Well, look, you stuck the microphone 
in his face after a huge game where he fucking won it for his team. Yeah. So like Earth saying like I like really need to start I like feeling really like this is the most like puffed up we've ever seen Gareth because he's just like I fucking won this game for you and you're not even you know, I, I need to start and if, if that's not something that's gonna happen you know what fair play I, if you're pissed off it's the end of the game you just scored the greatest goal in the Champions League history like you won the Champions League for your team again like I think that you know, getting a little bit intense is a totally rational and reasonable thing to do. And then when he like cools off, he maybe changes his mind or, or like rethinks like the intensity of that position. And then he hears from Zidane, they talk it out. I really do think there's a salvageable situation there. I never felt like there wasn't personally. Actually that that's an interesting point is that we, we um, need to understand that also just athletes in general, we stick a microphone in their faces during the peak of the emotional moments and expect them to be perfect with their words every time. And you stick a microphone in front of any human athlete or not in that very emotional moment and just and just see what they say. Um, after a certain amount of time, you're going to get some kind of nuggets that yeah. are just not going to sit well with people. Having said that, I do. I don't know if someone said it, one of the patrons said it or someone else said it or somewhere. I do agree that regardless of the emotion, it probably wasn't the right place or the right time. I, I don't, I felt like it, it, we should have just been celebrating and we did just nonstop throughout the night. And then we had to like, just think about these post game quotes and what they mean and stuff. And it kind of took away from it. Like, I feel like that stuff is, is, can just be discussed behind the scenes, you know, like you want to send a message like you can you not just tell Zidane that and you know or or do you have to tell the world that you deserve that that part it didn't so well with yeah, me yeah, it was bad timing that was yeah. Nikhil sir who made who asked us about okay, that and okay shout out like yes I agree yeah, it probably was just time place and manner of doing it but you know what I, I understand it also um Edward Morales um also also notes that it felt bittersweet that these comments made the wind feel bittersweet and I think I, that he's speaking for a lot of our uh, patrons and a lot of fans when he said, yeah, when you hear the players saying like that kind of stuff after them, right after the match, it can like dampen it a little bit. Um, and I, that's why it wasn't the right time, right way to say it. That's, that's, that's exactly what I agree with that. Um, it, 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 it was hard on the fans hearing that kind of stuff immediately after the win. Mm-hmm. You can hang on. I mean, if, if they were to do it next week, I think it would be a totally different feeling. But, you know. Uh, yeah. All right. I think that's basically it for this show. Um, Nikhil, we'll talk about Real Madrid's finances on a future episode. Um, just let, let you know. But um, I would say just really quickly, the people who are saying Madrid don't have the ability to pay lots of money because of club debt are – I really don't think that's right. Um, the uh, – so just that's a, your little preview. This club can easily drop a tremendous amount of money if they want to. It's just that they haven't felt that – my view is that they haven't felt that there was that one player out there in the market. I mean we already know, for example, also Nikhil, just to, just to, uh, just to throw some cold water on this, that actually Monaco and Real Madrid had agreed 180 million euro transfer of Kylian Mbappe last summer. We know that. That's a fact that yeah, both Real Madrid – confirmed yeah. the only reason they didn't get him was because he decided to go to PSG personally and it wasn't it wasn't that he that that Madrid didn't have the ability to get him they had agreed on the fee 
all of it was set, and then Mbappe said, I, I'd rather stay in France, which is up to the player, ultimately. So Yeah, some wage stuff, too, but um, I agree. That's actually a good reminder, too, that, I mean, even Zidane said it. Was, wouldn't he say this is December he said it, or did he say actually during the summer window where he was like, we're looking to sign somebody? Um, and it was, like, very clear the way he said it. So and then we just and didn't end up and then the narrative changed, you know, so I, I actually completely forgot about that. And that is a good reminder to be like, yeah, there's probably something brewing this summer. It's hard to predict what it'll be because there's so many unknowns. But I just hope that it's not Bale that's going to be sacrificed here. I just feel like it's a mistake. He's still entering his prime. He has so much time to build on his Real Madrid legacy still. Like someone, someone on Slack actually asked me, uh, so do you think Bale actually cracks the all-time, not all-time 11, but top 25 Real Madrid players? And I was like, I think I just have to think about that for a second. Let's, I'm just trying to, I don't want to be too reactionary, but why not let him build on this legacy, man? Like, Yeah, it's... I mean, he could crack into that all-time 11 if he sticks it out. Like, he really is that good. So, Well, it's just his uh, resume. Like, you know, it's been four or five years of a lot of injuries and a lot of... Uh, a lot of roller coaster of uh, a roller coaster of emotions with him in, in and yeah. out of the team, in and out of form. But big, you know, finals and in big games and all, just so many great memories he's given us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so with that, I wanna, I just wanna say again, man, it's been such an incredible season. Obviously, we will continue with the shows during the World Cup and with the transfer market and all that stuff. But just take a moment, sit back and. And think about how lucky we are to experience this team and, and, and how great they are and how great this era is for Real Madrid because I don't, you know, we may never see anything like this again. And we are just crazy lucky that this is, that we get to live in this time and, and, and bear witness to this unbelievably great, historically great, all time great team and doing what they're doing. I, is I, the fact that, Kian, we've done, been able to record now a number of these podcasts after winning the Champions League. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's just a crazy, it's amazing. Blessing. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to all of our patrons, to all of you. Thank you so much. Um, I, uh, I just, I can't thank you enough for getting, for letting me get to do this. And Keon, it's been so great going on this journey. Season with you, buddy. Do you want to do patron shout outs? Yeah, you just cut out for a second, but I just wanted to also uh, throw it back at you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Like, what an amazing season. Um, not only just. Uh, in terms of Real Madrid season, but also just like with you and Om and all the other guys who filled in, you know, like whether it was Matt Wilty or yeah. or even Andra with the bare appearance, every, you know, everyone just chipping in. It's been it's been a ton of fun. Look forward to this podcast growing. Look forward to some special guests this summer, some World Cup coverage. Oh, yeah. Let's do some patron shout outs. Um, as you all know, patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. Um, shout out to all of you 500 plus patrons shout out to these specific patrons who pledge $10 or more Nick DeStefane uh, Frederick Sundros Leon Savernakis Bjorn Salvador John Fernandez Said Mahad Sergio Monleon Red Bat Yahya Ibrahim Nick Ribeiro Eric Rogers Shea Khatiri Ian Marley Dan Berthy Jahan Watson Selvin Adolfo Chamaya Perez, Anas Alzawi, Raul Gutierrez, Anthony Vasquez, A. Gashi, 
Urim James, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obeyed, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jeremiah Rogers, and Daniel Smith. Really, really just an incredible group. Incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we will, I mean, we're not going anywhere. We'll be back with your midday show. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking transfers and whatnot and, and more fallout up from this historic victory. And But yeah, until then, Kian, um, a la Madrid y nada más. And we are the champions, champions. my friend. A la Madrid y nada más. Now keep on fighting till the end. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile. The most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.